We are in week three of our series called How to Read the Bible. And so the last two weeks, we have uh, had some conversations uh, trying to lay out a foundation of how we're supposed to enter into reading the Bible. We know that this is an important thing. We know that this is significant for our lives. So how exactly do we go into this? And so in week one, we, uh, we talked about how each one of us has uh, a paradigm. We have a framework for how we read scripture. And that is based off of our experiences, off of the things that we've been taught, uh, our traditions. All of that has set a particular perspective for how we go into reading this. And so we, we talked about uh, actually some of the unhelpful paradigms that we often have, especially in, in modern days, as we go into reading this. Uh, we we kind of try to fit like a, a square peg into a round hole when we read it through our modern lens. And so we talked about the dangers in that, some of the ways that we can keep an eye out for that and, and how we need to shift that. And so then last week, we started to build out the intended biblical paradigm. Like if we don't have the right paradigm, what, what is it that we need to be given to? And so last week, we started by talking about how the Bible is both human and divine. <clears throat> it's one of the core convictions that we have as Christians. And what that means is that these writings have come about through the minds, uh, the hands, the experiences, the history of real human beings. And yet we believe that it ultimately brings to us a genuine word from God. We believe that these writings are truly inspired by God, meaning that they have been led by, guided by, sustained by the Holy Spirit every single moment. And so we, we hold true to that. But that also frames up the Bible in a certain way. If there is humanity involved, then we have to do some digging and some studying to figure out what is going on in that bigger, fuller picture. And so that's what brings us up to speed for today. Going to continue to build out this paradigm as we move forward. So today we're going to be talking about how the Bible is unified literature. It's, it's unified in some really key ways that we need to be aware of, and that's going to help us as we go into reading this. So um, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, today we're going through a lot of information, which is why it's just me up here talking to you. A lot of information, so I, I would encourage you, please download the notes. It's going to very much help uh, keep track of what we're talking through. If you're a note taker on top of that, get ready. We're, we're going to go through plenty of stuff today. But I want you to keep the tension in your mind. This is all about the Bible being unified. And so with that in mind, why don't we start by just taking a few steps back and let's look at the Bible holistically, all right? Kind of take a, a, a bird's eye view of what we're dealing with here. And so a few things we need to know to kind of give us the right footing as we go into this, okay? Now, if you and I were to walk into a library today, and we were to kind of look through the different modern books that we have and kind of scroll through them, then we would see that there are some, some really consistent things that are, are happening with those books, okay? First off, um, they're probably written by one author, maybe a few, but most likely one or two authors. It's gonna have a really clear, really distinct beginning, middle, and end, and it's probably going to uh, be written in a pretty short amount of time, a year, maybe a few years, but a pretty condensed writing that we're going to be reading from. That is very much how we understand modern literature. 
When we go into the Bible, which by the way, the, the word Bible is simply a Latin translation of the Greek word biblion, which means book. So when you hear the word Bible, that's all it means is book. When we go into the Bible, um, there are some key differences, okay? First off, the Bible is written by many different authors and composers. So there are a lot of hands in the mix here. It's compiled over the span of many, many, many generations. And we'll talk more about that today. And what we learn is that it's actually a collection of scrolls from the ancient Israelites and the ancient Jews. So actually what we have is not a book. It's a collection of books that have been brought together for a reason. And actually it's a very eclectic collection of books. It's really, really diverse and we need to be aware of that. I've, I've heard it explained this way and I found it to be helpful. But when you go into reading the Bible, you almost have to imagine like you're walking into a library. When you walk into a library, you look around and you see that there are different sections, different genres, right? You've got nonfiction, you've got fiction, you've got sci-fi, all, all across the board, right? And so when you open up the Bible, you, you have to envision walking into this ancient library. And, and as you walk in, there's like ancient narrative over here and some ancient poetry over here. There are first century letters, some law codes in the back, right? There are these different sections. And that's important to know because you have to know where you're at in the library in order to understand the literature. If you're in the poetry section and you're reading it like it's narrative, you're gonna be very confused, right? You're gonna create some images and some pictures that are not what the, the writer was intending. So you have to know where you're at in the library. Now with the Bible, there are three major literary styles, okay? We've got narrative, we've got poetry, and we've got what's called prose discourse. And that's mainly letters, but also speeches and things like that. So 43% of the time that you're reading your Bible, it's narrative, 33% of the time, it's poetry. 24% of the time, it's prose discourse. So maybe just let that sink in for a moment. A third of the time that you pick up your Bible, if you're reading it from, from front to back, you're reading ancient poetry. Now, you have to know what to do with that, right? You, you have to be equipped in some way to understand exactly what they're trying to do, what pictures they're really trying to paint. It's a specific thing. Most of the time you pick up your Bible and you read, it's ancient narrative. So you have this storyline that they're building out and they're trying to tell you a specific message and lead you down a specific path through that storyline. So you have to follow along. You have to realize that the bigger arc of the story and what is truly being said, okay? So know where you're at, understand and get your bearings. Now, because this is a collection of books, one of the things that we have to realize that, that we don't often think about today is that historically, this was not one book that people would go out and buy and read like we do today, okay? Throughout history, it was a bunch of different separate scrolls that were being circulated from place to place, region to region, synagogue to synagogue, okay? That's how they related to these writings. The codex, which um, is all of the writings binded together between two covers like we have it today, that did not come about until like the third or fourth century, okay? So throughout biblical times, even throughout the time of Jesus, if you were to like go to your local synagogue, uh, to hear a reading and to be taught a particular lesson, that synagogue would not have all the scrolls. 
They might have one, maybe a few of the scrolls. So maybe they would have like the scroll of Isaiah and the scroll of Genesis. And so that's where you're reading and your lesson would be from for that day, okay? This is again, how Jesus would have related to these writings. So it's important to know that in biblical times, they conceived of these in a very different way. There's a very different understanding of scripture, even in terms of its inspiration. Today, we're, we're like, well, is it in the book or is it not in the book? And it was very different for them. They had to hold a lot of complexities in place. They understood what was inspired, what wasn't, but it was just related to in a very different way, okay? Now, here's the point of all of this. What we have is many different authors, many different composers, many different scrolls over many, many generations circulated across many, many places. But the core conviction that we hold is that the Bible is unified from start to finish in really key ways. And so that's what we wanna build out today. I mentioned uh, the Bible Project a few weeks ago. If you haven't checked that out yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Go check it out, okay? But they have a specific statement on this aspect of scripture, and I really like how they put this. So this is what they say. The Bible has many authors, many literary styles, and many themes, but it is telling one story about God's rescue of humanity to be his partners in ruling the world, okay? It's really simply put, very straightforward, but very important. We got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of complexities, a lot of nuances, but it's been brought together in an unbelievably unified way for our understanding, okay? And it's unified in, in a couple of key ways. It's unified in its formation, how it's been brought together. It's unified in its composition, how it's been composed over history. And it's unified in its narrative message, in the story that is being told. And so for today, we're gonna focus on the formation and the composition pieces. And the reason being is um, about a month ago, we did a message on the story of the Bible. We talked about the story from beginning to end, how consistent, how cohesive it is. So if you wanna lean into the narrative part, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Um, but I don't wanna rehash it today. I wanna focus on these things and see what we can learn and, and how we can grow from them. So let's go ahead and, and, and dig in. So if you open your Bible, you're gonna notice one thing really quickly. And that is our modern day Bibles are broken up into two distinct collections. Okay, so we have the Hebrew scriptures, often called the Old Testament, and we have the writings of the apostles, often called the New Testament. Now, although they are unified in, in important ways, they are also very distinct in their histories and in their compilation. And so for the purposes of our discussion today, we're gonna break those apart and, and kind of dig into each one of them separately. And so let's start with the Hebrew scriptures. This is our older set uh, of collection of, of writings. And so let's begin with its composition. How is this composed over the course of history? And the first thing that we have to call out is that from its origins, it has always been viewed in a threefold nature, okay? In fact, uh, in its origins, it was called the Tanakh. And um, that is a Hebrew acronym. And, and the acronym is Torah, Nevaim, and Ketuvim. Okay, so let's talk about those for a second. Torah simply means law or instruction. And this is what makes up the first five books of our Old Testament, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's Torah, okay? Nevi'im simply means prophets. So we have major prophets, we have minor prophets, we also have the former prophets like Joshua, Judges, and Samuel. 
And then ketuvim means writings. So this is our poetic books, some of our historical books, Psalms, Proverbs, things like this. So from its origins, this is how it was conceived in a threefold nature. And in fact, this is the very way that Jesus himself refers to these writings. In Luke 24, he calls it the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. So he conceived of this in in this exact way. And so that's helpful for us to begin to to structure this out. Now today, if you were to open up your Bible, uh, your your Protestant Old Testament, and, and read through the beginning of it, you're gonna see that there are 39 books, right? That's what we have, that's how it's broken up today. The Tanakh originally was comprised of only 24 scrolls, okay? Now, that is not because we've added 15 books between now and then. Nothing has been changed, but it was comprised in a very different way. So so let me break that down. So if you go to the end of our Old Testament right now, you're gonna see what's called 12 minor prophets. There are small books, um, but they are telling a particular story. It's 12 distinct books today, Originally, one large scroll called the Book of the Twelve. And so there's a a big discrepancy between how many we would say today, how many they had originally, same exact content, okay? Uh, Today, we have 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Originally, those were each one scroll. And then today, we have Ezra and Nehemiah broken up into two. Originally, that was one scroll as well. So again, same exact writings, same exact content, but, but composed in a different way. And that's helpful to know, not just from a historical standpoint, but also like, for instance, with the minor prophets, it's helpful to know that originally that was, that was one work because it, it will allow you to read through that in a more succinct way to understand the, the bigger message that's, that's coming across, okay? So let's talk about these original 24 scrolls for a second. And, and there's a few things to note that are really important, okay? First off, these scrolls were written, composed, and compiled over the course of about a thousand years, Now, don't let that just go right over your head. A thousand years. That is a long time for these writings to be written and composed and built upon a long, long history that we're dealing with. So best guesses, this started sometime around 1400s BC and ended sometime in the the 300s or 400s BC. So very, very long history. So that shows us a few different things that we need to be aware of, okay? First off, each one of these scrolls originated at a different time in a different place in Israel's history. Now that seems really obvious, but it's very important to remember because some of these were generated at the beginning of Israel's reign. And so it's gonna have a certain message, a certain kind of feeling to it. Some of these were generated during a really rough stretch of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. So it's gonna have a certain feel to it and a certain message. Some of them were generated during the Babylonian exile. And so you're gonna see a big shift in the way that people are thinking, the way that they're feeling. So it's important that you know where you're at in the history line so that you understand what indeed you're reading about, okay? Here's a really big thing, and this is something you're gonna have to kind of ponder for a little while. But in terms of composition, ancient Near Eastern literature was composed in a very different way than we experience today, okay? It's just a a very different approach. Today, you you have somebody who's going to write something. It's a very solo, isolated endeavor. They have an idea, they write about it, they expound on it, and then it's distributed for everyone to consume, right? Really cut and dry, that's how it goes. 
ancient literature was far more communal in nature. Um, it was much more of an open-ended dynamic process where writings were carried forward and they were developed in these really multifaceted ways. And uh, I'm not gonna go too far down that, that rabbit hole, but, but it is important to know. Let me give you one of the examples. So one of the methods back then was called root forming. And so this is what they, do, they would do. They would take a root concept from one of their traditions, one of their teachings, and they would build it out in these really creative, profound ways over the course of time. So they would have repeated themes, diverse styles, different analogies, all in an effort to really build out like a core idea or a core principle, okay? It was a really specific method. And in the case of scripture, we actually see this very, very clearly. Um, we have the Torah, and, and I would argue in particular, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, they, they build out this root concept, this root is, is formed with all of these themes and these ideas. Everything else is then revised, developed, and compiled off of that root. So you'll see these ideas and themes and stories on repeat over and over and over again, trying to build out these core principles that we're supposed to take hold of. So the nature of the Old Testament is very highly designed and interwoven over the course of its thousand-year compilation. So um, in a book called The Shape of the Writings, they have a really neat analogy to help us begin to, to grasp this. So I wanted to share it with you. What they say is that the Hebrew scriptures are not like a collection of potted trees at your local nursery. Like if you were to go to your local nursery, you would see these trees have a life form of their own. They've got their own pot, right? It, they're, they're all alone. And then you, you bring a bunch of them together, scoot them together so that they're a collection of similar things. And naturally, that's how we think about the Hebrew scriptures. That's how they were formed. That's how they were compiled. But actually, what, what they say is it's much more like the growth of an aspen grove. So when you look at like an aspen forest, you're likely not looking at hundreds of separate trees, but actually one biological organism. So, so you have this growth of trees that are beautiful and powerful, but they're all interconnected through the root system and they actually share identical DNA. And interestingly enough, as the system grows, the oldest root ball is feeding into the newest, but then the opposite is also true. So there's, there's like this communication that's happening back and forth as these things grow and as they develop. This is very much how the Hebrew scriptures were composed and compiled. They are deeply interconnected at the roots, linking primarily back to the Torah. And so there are these themes, these designs, these ideas that are traveling back and forth throughout the collection that we need to be aware of. If you're musically inclined, <clears throat> I've heard it explained this way. The, the beginning of the Bible creates like this melody that you become really familiar with, right? Like you, you're vibing with it, you know how it goes. The rest of the Hebrew scriptures just continue that melody over and over again. Whether you're reading it forward, backward, in between, you just hear this melody over and over again that makes you feel a certain way and is, is pointing you in a certain direction. This is very much how the Old Testament came about. Um, now that will make much more sense in a few weeks, because we're gonna talk more about the connections, the, the design patterns of the Bible, so you'll be able to see it in real time, but, but maybe that's something to, to meditate on in the meantime, okay? So let's talk about the formation of the Old Testament. How did this ultimately come together to be what it is today? And so let's start with this. 
We talked about how it came uh, together over the course of a thousand years, really long history. And so no surprise, but what we have in our Old Testament today, these were not the only writings that were being created at this time in history. There were plenty of other ancient Israelite writings of the day, some of which are actually mentioned at times throughout Scripture. So if you're reading uh, Chronicles, every once in a while they'll reference like a random scroll that isn't in our Old Testament or a random poem that will come up that, that has been derived from some other writing. So the Old Testament is a selection of writings from a much larger group of writings within ancient Israelite tradition. And this selection was primarily carried about by the people we call the prophets, all right? Now, we know that these are amazing people of God. We read the stories of some of the things that happened that are mind-blowing. But what we don't realize oftentimes is that they were also brilliant writers and literary designers. And I mean brilliant. So much so that when you go into the Hebrew scriptures, you almost have to like picture yourself entering this museum exhibit like, it's, it's unbelievable. There's this eclectic, diverse collection of writings brought together in a highly designed way to put you through a specific experience. All of it is very deliberate for the reader in ways that, honestly, we're still uncovering today. It's, it's, um, when I say that they are brilliant, I mean they were brilliant. Anybody who says that the Bible was written by a bunch of stupid ancient people that didn't know any better have not studied the Bible. It's unbelievably intricate, intentional, and interconnected. That's what we have. And so we see this amazing collection beginning to take its final shape sometime around the 300s BC. This is the time frame where we really see these things coming together. And so just to kind of give us a marker of history, This would have been right after um, they came out of the Babylonian exile. So they came back to their homeland. And this would have also been right after they built the second temple. So the original temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed. They, They erected a second temple. This actually would have been the temple that was still there when Jesus came around. But it was right in that time frame. This is when these writings really came together. And uh, this is even the shape and the form that Jesus would have read and and would have known it by. So it's very important. Um, Let me add this side note, and then we'll get into the New Testament. But the exile was actually very significant for the formation of Scripture. Um, Think about it this way. You had this really distinct people group. Uh, these people of Israel who had an identity, they had core principles, but then they were taken out of their homeland, taken into a foreign land with a different culture, different ideals, but they took their traditional writings with them. And so as they were away from home, they almost had to hold on to these things tighter than they normally did. They almost had to rally around these writings to keep their core principles, to keep their identity alive. So by the end of the exile, you almost see this new vigor, this new respect for these ancient writings. So it's no surprise that shortly after they come back home is is really when we see the final shape of this taking place, okay? So so that's just a kind of a high-level picture of our Hebrew scriptures. We'll build that out more. We'll talk more and more and more about that, but hopefully that sets a foundation for us, okay? Now let's move into the New Testament. So the second collection, our newer collection, we fast forward a couple of hundred years and we see some interesting things happening. Primarily, a man by the name of Jesus arrives on the scene and some stuff happens, right? <laughs> like some, some stuff happens. I won't spoil it. You can go read about it. But uh, he starts a movement. 
and he appoints leaders of that movement. And so the New Testament that we have today is a collection of writings from these leaders and some of their associates. That's, that's what we have. So let's do a quick breakdown, kind of get a good scope of, of what we're dealing with here. So if you open up into your New Testament, you're gonna see that it starts with five foundational narratives, all right? So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we have the book of Acts, which is actually the second work of Luke. So let's explain this for a second. The first four narratives are all about Jesus, right? They're, they're telling us the story of Jesus, really from beginning to end. We start with his birth and get into his life and his ministry, his death and resurrection. We, we see the full picture, but specifically, these narratives are making claims about who he is, about what he has done, and what that now means for the world. Very important claims that we need to be aware of. So then this other narrative, the book of Acts, comes about, and, and it's about how that gets carried into the future from the initial community of his followers, led by his appointed leaders. And what we begin to see is that this news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, begins to spread. It goes out beyond Jerusalem and Judea and into Asia and Rome and the, the greater Mediterranean region. We, we see this begin to expand and grow in amazing ways. And so this then becomes the foundation for the rest of the New Testament. So everything after that is in some way riffing off of the foundational narratives. So in other words, they're, they're building out how that storyline has shifted the world and how we now live within it individually and collectively. Some things have changed and we need to be aware of that. We see this primarily being worked out through first century letters. And so you have these leaders within the Jesus movement working out really in real time what it means to be a community of Christ followers. It's really amazing what, what we have. These are genuine first century letters. So you've got leaders in the Jesus movement writing to communities of believers who are going through certain things, dealing with certain issues, have certain questions, and they're writing to them in, in real time. Pretty amazing that we get to, to read these things today. And then we get to the end of the New Testament. We have one piece of apocalyptic literature to kind of bookend the, the whole collection. So, so that gives us our 27 books, five foundational narratives, 21 <clears throat> apostolic letters, one apocalyptic piece to wrap things up and to bookend the collection. Now, if we take a step back for a moment, <clears throat> if we pull in the analogy I mentioned earlier, that the New Testament was like an aspen grove, this one biological organism working and interconnected, the New Testament is actually much more like the separated potted trees that I started with. In other words, each one of these has a life of its own. It's distinct in its own right, but then the collection has been pulled together as a unit because of its unified message and its unique inspiration. So the nature of, of this newer collection is very different from the nature of the Hebrew scriptures, especially in terms of how it was composed and how it was collected. And that's important to know as you go into to reading it, the, the nature of it from beginning to end, okay? So let's talk about formation of the New Testament. How did these things come together? And so first off, while the Hebrew scriptures came about over the course of about a thousand years, right? We got this really long expanded history. The New Testament, once again, very different. We see this collection only taking about 50 years or so to be written and to be formed. So again, very different from the Hebrew scriptures. Um, this would have started sometime around the time of Jesus in the 30s AD, 
and taking final shape sometime around 90 AD. That's kind of the general time frame that we have. Now, here's the thing. Although the writings only took about 50 years to be written, to be composed, the inspired formation of them that we have today was a process that took a little bit longer. Uh, it, It was actually a few centuries before we really see a true solidification of our New Testament. We see see this really taking shape in the third century. It seemed like they were really gathering around what was truly inspired, and then that was carried forward very securely into the future. However, the final shape of this collection came about in a very organic way, very organic process, meaning It wasn't like a group of people got in a room and put a final stamp on our New Testament collection. There were some really important councils that were indeed happening at this time in history. But as you study those councils more and more, what we learn is that they weren't talking about the final nature of canonizing the New Testament. They were talking about other things that related to it. So instead, what we see is it was actually the community of Jesus believers over time that carried these writings forward. In other words, these were the works that just kept rising to the surface during that early church history. These were the ones that were speaking in a unique and special way. And and so what we see is eventually that now becomes our inspired collection. I think that's actually amazing because it shows us the power of a spirit-filled community and what they're capable of. So I think that's something to to think about. Um, To be clear, just like with the Hebrew scriptures, Plenty of other writings being produced and circulated during the time of the first century church, okay? In fact, um, by the very same apostles and leaders that we read about in the Gospels and beyond, there are other letters from Paul that aren't in our New Testament. We have other writings from the disciples that aren't in our New Testament. So the 27 books we have today are truly what the Spirit-filled community proved to be truly inspired and life-giving. And this is now why we have what we have today, okay? Okay. Now, um, at the beginning, I mentioned how we talked about the narrative about a month ago, but I do wanna just kind of capstone it by by explaining this. We've talked a lot about this, but the larger narrative of the Bible is that God is using human beings made in his image to rule and reign within his creation to bring about order and restoration. We, We talk about that over and over again. In fact, that's one of those designs throughout the Hebrew scriptures, one of those melodies you hear over and over and over and over again, okay? But here's the thing, simply put, the New Testament is a revolutionary text on how we do that now in light of the person, the teachings, and the work of Jesus. And that is really important to frame it up as we go into reading these things so we understand what they're trying to communicate, okay? Now, um, I've just thrown a bunch of information at you, all right? So let me maybe uh, sum things up this way. I'll give you five main takeaways. These are in your sermon notes, but, but I think these are important to really summarize this. The first thing, when you open your Bible, remember you're entering a library of ancient text. So know where you're at within the library and what style you're reading from. That's really gonna frame up your understanding. The second, the Hebrew scriptures are unified in a special way due to their compositional history. So look for the common themes, the common ideas, and the common designs. Again, we'll talk much more about that in a few weeks. Number three, the New Testament is a revolutionary document around how the world has changed in light of the person and work of Jesus, and you must read it as such, all right? Make sure that is your perspective. Here's the fourth one. We haven't even talked about this, but in light of last week's message, very important. 
every piece of this process, the formation, the composition, the narrative, the writers, the composers, the compilers, the scribes, every piece, person, and part of the history of scripture has been inspired by God from start to finish. All right? That is so important for us to throw out there because a lot of times when people think about the inspiration of scripture, they minimize it to like the person named or who we think might have written that, right? So Moses, he was really inspired or Peter or Paul, but there's a huge dynamic process in place over the course of history with this literature. We trust, we believe that from start to finish, the Holy Spirit was leading, guiding, and sustaining that process, a core conviction that we must hold. Okay, here's the fifth and the final takeaway. The scrolls of the Old and New Testament are telling a unified story about God and what he's up to in the world, culminating in the game-changing narrative of Jesus. And you must read it through that lens. You have to understand the bigger story in play to understand where it's pointing us and how it's leading and guiding us, okay? So hopefully over the course of this week, you can continue to meditate on those things, study those things. Again, if you haven't gotten those notes, please make sure you do that. It'll give you a good summary. I also have some other references and things on there that I think would be helpful. So please continue to dig in on your own time, talk about it with your friends, family, life groups, and we'll continue to move forward.